0: This week on Wealth Track, China expert Jim McGregor gives us his candid assessment of the competitive threat that China's leadership poses to the US. Next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track Hello, and welcome to this Wealth Track podcast. I'm Consuelo Mack. Our focus is China. The backdrop, contentious trade talks with the U.S., which have roiled markets, massive pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong, and an overtly aggressive Chinese president, Xi Jinping, who since he took office in 2013, has taken on more power than any Chinese leader since Mao Zedong, and has announced plans to dominate key global industries with his Made in China 2025 initiative and dominate land and sea routes from Asia to Europe with his China Belt and Road Initiative, the most ambitious infrastructure investment effort in history based on the ancient Silk Road. Our guest is the refreshingly candid China expert, James McGregor, whom I have known for years since we met at the Wall Street Journal where he was bureau chief in mainland China then CEO of Dow Jones Company in China, and was former chairman of the American Chamber of Commerce there. He is currently chairman of APCO Worldwide Greater China, where he specializes in advising multinationals on business, public policy, and communication strategies. He is also the author of several books, including No Ancient Wisdom, No Followers, The Challenges of Chinese Authoritarian Capitalism, And we will have links to Jim on our website, WealthTrack.com. Jim McGregor, it's great to have you on this WealthTrack podcast. There is a lot to talk about. There's been so much going on in China. And I I really want to discuss uh, your role as chairman of APCO Worldwide Greater China and specifically what you are advising businesses on the current state of China's leadership under President Xi, uh, who is been dubbed the chairman of everything coe so tell me what you're telling businesses
1: i advise businesses basically uh passing your seat because this is um this is not a passing squabble this isn't just another downturn in u.s china relations um this is a paradigm shift and we don't know what it's going to look like when we come out the other end now, china's on the move and very strong and very you know, very exclusive ways, doing things its own way around the world and following rules where they work for China. If they don't work for China, they pretend they don't exist. And meanwhile, we've got, you know, the U.S. is going through all of of our own trials and tribulations on on where we're headed in the world. It's a new day and age. It's a new day and age. What what you know from the past, the last 30 years in China are not the next 30 years in China and the U.S.-China relations we've had in the past are not the relations of the future. And this is sorting itself out, you know, it's going to have to sort itself out, whether it's the ongoing trade war, whether it's how do we, do we decouple on technology? How do we handle China with its Belt and Road Initiative? And it just goes on and on and on into everything from military to technology to soybeans.
0: How has it changed the business climate in China for foreign businesses specifically? And, uh, and you know, U.S. multinationals, uh, who are your clients?
1: Well, you know, the business reasons we're in this situation is the business climate has changed for foreign multinationals and foreign companies in China over a period of the last five to 10 years. Under Xi Jinping, we've been more and more kind of looking at what I call reform and closing as opposed to Deng Xiaoping's reform and opening. China's doing a number of reforms for its own companies and its own systems, but it's um, step-by-step in making it more difficult for foreign companies. And when a Chinese company can do what a foreign company does, they can suddenly find they've got little room to do business in China. And then when we get to – you know, a lot of this is really – we have a technology war going on more than a trade war. And, uh, you know, with China and its various technology policies that have been capped off by Made in China 2025 – which is basically about dominating all the important technologies of the future, from chips to artificial intelligence to new materials to cloud computing and you name it, and the thing about this policy is it's not so aspirational it's got uh it's got quotas you know they they say by this year the Chinese market will have eighty percent and this sector will be. Um, Chinese companies. And it's very clear that the goal is to, step by step, um, have Chinese companies replace foreign companies in the uh, China market and then beat them globally. Um, And we've learned long ago, when China says uh, they're going to do something, you better pay attention.
0: Are those realistic goals? It it sounds as if you're saying that, in fact, they are, that where there's a Chinese will there's a way is it possible that they are will dominate AI for instance artificial intelligence or you know tell me where you think that they have they are developing clear competitive advantages uh, and maybe where they are not because I, I just have a hard time believing just because they say that they're going to dominate these key industries that in fact they have the technology and the wherewithal to do so.
1: Yeah, let me let me take that in a little uh, different direction. We, we, if you look at China's development in the past and the way we in the West looked at China, we we, we had a bit of arrogance that you could not um, you could not become a prosperous country uh, unless you had democracy and open information. And China has kindly turned that on its head, and actually now the Chinese system has some advantages because of the amount of money that can be put into these technologies by companies and entities that don't have to make money you know if you're huawei and you got a 30 billion dollar line of credit from china development bank and standards made from you for you and this and that you know you can you can really power ahead on 5g with you know billions of dollars where verizon and the rest of the phone carriers out there have to uh, make money, and then on the side, they, they do their R&D. But what we're really talking about here, Consuelo, is talent. Um, can China innovate? You're damn right they can. Why? Because, well, uh, we train them. If you look at uh, the tens of thousands of incredibly smart and capable Chinese who've gone to MIT, Carnegie Mellon, Cal Polytech, they work for Siemens, they work for Google, they work for HP, you, you name it. it uh those people are are now in China and you know well Xi Jinping is really consolidating a lot under the state-owned enterprise for the party's own power at the same time they are pushing ahead with entrepreneurship and innovation there's endless amounts of chinese venture capital money available to these people And they are there, and they've got all the advantages in the world, and they've got the talent, and they've got the ability to do it. I mean, if you look at the leading Chinese um, artificial intelligence companies or chip companies or whatever, these people came out of Microsoft. They came out of Intel. They came out of Qualcomm. They came out of NVIDIA. Um, You know, we, we, we have to really wake up. You. I, I see too much in the US where people say, Oh, they can't innovate, it's state enterprise. China's got multi layers and what we have to remember is the talent. And as long as a China enables talent, uh, which they are doing on the technology side very very much so, we have to wake up and compete, to be honest with you, with what's going on with this trade war. America should be taking this as a sputnik moment, um, you know, to to fix our own immigration to Anybody gets a PhD in the sciences, give them a green card. Fund our own science and technology and science and technology education. On the other hand, China's the one that's treating this as a Sputnik moment, saying we can't be dependent on American uh, technology and American suppliers, so we're going to replace them.
0: It's so interesting, Jim, because it sounds as if you know you're talking about a Sputnik moment. Because when you were just talking, I thought of the. The entire, uh, you know, JFK putting down the gauntlet and saying that we're going to go, you know, to the moon by the end of the decade, and you know, spending the resources and devoting the talent and everything else, and we actually succeeded in doing that. However, resources are exhaustible, and um, and so when you're talking about unlimited money, they're, they don't have to compete in the marketplace; they don't have to make money in order to get the funding, whatever it is. I mean, is there, a, you know, a limit to uh, to what they can do or we just haven't seen that
1: yet? Yeah. Uh, well, of course, you know, just trying to have endless money. We ask ourselves this question all the time because of all the money it's putting into the Belt and Road and, you know, everything else. But remember, a lot of this money, there's a lot of rich Chinese people with, with you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars. And they're also investing, you know, this isn't just the government. Um, you know, you talk about you, you, what you said about Kennedy struck me because, you know, Ren Zhengfei, fei the, the founder of Huawei, just a few days ago, he sent out a directive to his 170,000 or whatever employees that they are now in the live or die moment. And that, um, you know, in, he, the way he put it, three to five years, Huawei will be flowing with new blood. And um if they survive this critical moment in history they will be able to dominate the world, which is his goal. <laughs> Think about that. That that's the spirit they have going. Look, I'm not I'm not here boosting the Chinese as you know. I've been there thirty years and I'm uh I'm a fact-based uh, person and I'm also quite critical of things but my these days I want to wake up America. I want to wake up America that we have to wake up and we have to compete. Um it, it's not so much you know trying to say well China won't be able to do this and they can't do this, they can't do that. China's the one with a can do spirit now. We're 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 the one with a can't do spirit. You know I'm in I'm in Washington twice a year with business people from American business, you know, American Chamber. And um Visiting with congressmen and and senators and members of the administration, and, and we go to them with ideas and say, well, you know, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And they say that's a great idea, but we just can't do that. We can't do things around here. Well, I can tell you, China's not a can't do place, but America's got to get back to that. You know, we got to compete.
0: As far as that, we have to compete because uh, you know traditionally we've competed through the private sector uh, and much less through government funding, but uh, are, is it possible in a capitalist system and in a free market system where we do have to pay attention to um, you know the bottom line and the balance sheet, uh, can, can this kind of competition and competitive effort come from the private sector, or, or are you saying it's, we need a new public-private partnership um, approach, as you said, a la the Sputnik moment?
1: Well, actually, because, well, if you look at our history, if you look at the history of innovation in America, it goes back to it goes back to government, it goes it goes back to academia, and it goes back to companies all working together. And where where we have really, you know, where we have overcome barriers and where we've gone through our own Sputnik moments, that's been government money working with the private sector.
0: We've just mm-hmm. quit doing
1: that. We you know we've kind of bled ourselves dry now um you, know, you 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 need the government involved in this um You know, look, we go way back to you know, China. America was the world's largest, um, you know, state-driven economy during World War II when we were run by the War Production Board, and it was a, you know, a guy from Sears. Now, I'm not saying we go back to that, but let's not be, let's not delude ourselves on where we came from. A lot of the reason America got where it is, it was government working with business, not just business on its own. You know, business is too short term centered you know, you know let, let's let's just worry about the next quarter and you know as you saw the conference board the other day was talking about we've got to go beyond just you know shareholder value um, we've got to you know look out for employees We've got to look out for our businesses and you know we should probably look out for the country the, the, this is where globalization has really caused a problem uh, with the with, with, with american business because um if, if your only incentive is for shareholders um, and you're an American, a big American company, well, the majority of your business these days, the vast majority for the, the technology companies is outside of the U.S. So how do you get them to care about the U.S. and have make decisions that are for the U.S. economy? That's going to take
0: government. Politics is really important in the U.S., but it's especially important in China. And I'm looking, as I mentioned, uh, you know, earlier on in our discussion, you know, they call president xi jinping uh you know the chairman of everything and he certainly has consolidated power there's been a a huge uh you know shift in party leadership I mean, he's locked people up there's much more um in, as i said intervention overt intervention uh there's much more suppression of dissent than there has been i mean none of those are conducive really to um as far as i can tell or maybe this is just a, a false you know, Western view to um, innovation and creativity if you're afraid that if you get too successful that you're going to be locked up or if you speak your mind uh, that your business is going to be shut down. Isn't it possible that the seeds of the destruction are in this consolidation of power and uh, and the crackdown on, on dissent and crackdown on minorities and, you know, travel and uh, you tell me. Isn't that a problem, or couldn't it be a problem?
1: Uh, yes, it can.
0: Um, you know, Xi Jinping,
1: um, when he came into office, he came into a mess. Uh, corruption was off the charts. They had to change the economic model from low-cost manufacturing and kind of borrowing and stealing the technology of others. They had, you know, it's got to be their own consumer market that builds the economy. They've got to do their own technology and all of that. And he had a mess on his hands politically. But what has he done since then? I look at I look at his administration It's really a story of overreach, going too far in every direction. You know, made in China twenty twenty five is an overreach. The Chinese people are completely capable, as I was saying earlier, building a world beating tech sector. They've they've gone to our schools, they've worked in our companies, there's abundant venture capital. You know, if this was private Chinese people going out and, and buying companies and, and doing joint ventures and whatever the world would not have a big problem with it it would work fine but because it was a state and it was about crushing and dominating and um it woke up the the world technology companies and so there's a lot of pushback china is going to have a hell of a time doing any acquisitions of any technology overseas for for many years the Belt and Road Initiative has been a, a big overreach and, and, and led to a lot of problems in poor countries where they're heavily indebted to China. Uh, the South China Sea and those islands is an overreach because after spending 20 years of making, you know, trying to make friends with its neighbors or at least pretending to make friends with its neighbors, it, it just said, "Hey, this is our this is our our ocean, and you guys better behave and 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 get along with us." So it's you're right. And that, how does it, what does this add up to? I mean, look at the situation in Hong Kong right now. The people in Hong Kong have grown up um, with liberty without democracy, but they have had liberty. They had unbiased courts. They had the legal system that protected them. And they don't want to lose that. This is a middle class rising up, these aren't a bunch of radicals. In Hong Kong, you grow up uh, without walls. In China, you grew up with walls. You can only go so far in either direction, but those walls are wider than ever. So people feel pretty good about it in in most cases, but they they don't understand what's going on. You know why 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 don't who are these Hong Kong people and why are they doing that? And it's a real dilemma. It's a real dilemma on how how do you bring this to a close, especially when you've got the things going on with with the the the, the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. So. Yeah, Consuelo, you're right. You know, it's not all smooth sailing. There's a lot of problems mounting for this leadership. Um and we're not sure how it's going to sort itself out. But I again I want to turn to the United States and say um even if China runs into big problems unless we have our stuff together, it's not automatic that we're
0: going to win anything. The significance of the Hong Kong anti-government demonstrations. How significant are they and how much of a threat to Chinese leadership and is it possible for, for there to be an outcome that that does favor greater liberalization uh, in Hong Kong?
1: Well, if you look at how they've handled it, you know, with the propaganda apparatus is at full steam. And what is happening in Hong Kong, according to the propaganda, is that this is the machinations of the West, especially America. You know, that that is who's doing this. And it's about keeping China down. So to you know flip from that to some kind of a concession on liberalization, and she isn't a isn't a person that concedes on liberalization he's hard lined from from morning till you know evening and to Throughout the night. And I don't know if he's capable of doing any kind of concession. And the thing is, they don't want this to infect the rest of China. If if people in Hong Kong demonstrate and they get concessions out of it, what does that mean for the rest of China? That's why this is so, so complicated and uh, unpredictable where it would end. Because if he goes in there and there's a tiananmen style crackdown and 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 you know people are are killed or or hurt and they round' them up, that's also gonna alienate the world i mean what are American multinationals gonna do if they go in and start shooting in Hong Kong are they gonna just do business as usual in China? How this plays out on top of all the other things going on is just uh um i don't i I don't know but it's 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 a it's a fraught with danger.
0: Jim speaking of of, you know difficult problems let's talk about the trade relations with the US and there was a Wall Street Journal op-ed by an Obama administration official um, and the headline was we have lost the trade war with China what's your assessment of the trade relationship uh, between China and the US
1: well to a large extent I may agree with that Um, we
0: we needed a pushback and it was coming. Uh, you know,
1: Hillary would have pushed back, uh, Trump, you know, pushed back. But the way we've done it is is um, uh, not very effective. In fact, I think it's uh, some days I think we're making China great again. If you look at the the uh, uh, sequence of events and how we've done this with the tariffs and then tying it to North Korea and dropping out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Well, let me go to that for a second. Dropping out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was Obama's signature uh, trade policy, you know, that, that created um, a trading regime of 40% of GDP. It, it opened up those countries to us. We're already open to those countries in, in Asia. And it gave the, the those countries a hedge against China, and China was not part of it, and I know the reformers in Beijing wanted us to do p t p p because it would incentivize China to change to in a positive way to be in a trade regime, not hitting them over the head and telling them what to do and we 've gone through so many zigs and so many zags in this trade in the, in our trade negotiations with China. They've just decided they can't deal with us and they're going to wait us out. And they can wait a lot longer than we can because, you know, the, you know, you listen to Kudlow and some of the stuff that comes out of this administration. They seem to believe that China is going to bend at the knee at the majesty of the United States. They do not understand the power of China and, and, and the, the, the companies there and the technology and the people and the money. And also it's quite coordinated. They can wait this out a lot longer than we can. I work with the, the Semiconductor Industry Association, the, the Advanced Medical Device, And uh, these, you know, if, if you're in those businesses and you don't have the China market, you're not going to make it globally. Our American chip companies, anywhere from 20% to 75% of their chips go to China. Uh, they can't lose that market. So it's it's very, very complicated. And you've probably have ascertained I'm not a big fan of President Trump. He's, he's kind of like the drunken sailor of trade negotiators. Well, he heads down one way one day and another way the next day, and China just thinks, well, this guy we can't we can't deal with him. And poor old Lighthizer trying to have a professional negotiation, but he gets you know he ends up having to clean up the mess of the last tweet. We needed a pushback, but boy, we're not doing it in an effective way in any way, shape, or form.
0: Final topic of conversation because WealthTrack is about long-term diversified investing, and certainly. In any well-diversified portfolio, uh, China should play a part. What does the current state of China's leadership, which is going to be around, um, barring some unforeseen circumstance for a long, long time, what about the investment opportunities for foreigners uh, in China?
1: It's not a bad time for venture capital, actually, Uh, except that trade war is getting in the way of cross-border venture capital. I'm not qualified to tell people how to invest, but uh, I would have them look at their portfolios and look deeply into the companies that they're invested in and what they're doing and how they're handling China. Because I can tell you, Consuelo, the one thing that is going on that is not very well covered is, you know, the the supply chains. We're seeing we're seeing you know some supply chains leaving China to for Vietnam, Indonesia, the Philippines, and Mexico, and In many cases, that was just waiting to happen because costs have gotten so high in China these people were eating margin to stay in china because china was so efficient and it worked so well but with the trade war happening it kind of the straw that broke the camel's back on moving on moving that manufacturing out on the other hand there's lots of companies doubling down on china lots of fortune 1000 companies are doubling down on china because if you are in coatings chemicals components anything to do with high end manufacturing Internet of things, self driving cars, electric vehicles, they know China's gonna be the leader in those sectors. And if you're not in China, you're not gonna make it. And so there's a there's a lot going on. Major companies um putting more and more of in their investment in China. And and with what's going on with, with um Huawei and, 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 and blocking, you know, technology companies from supplying Huawei and more and more Chinese companies. I'm afraid we're going to see some of these big American technology companies de-Americanize. You know, when we used to have companies that uh, because of American taxes were so high, they'd go go buy a, a, a company in Ireland and then become an Irish company to avoid taxes. We may start seeing some of the American technology companies get themselves a legal foothold somewhere else so they can claim they're not American so that they don't get blocked from selling into China, because China's still the market, and it's gonna be the market for the next several decades, and they're hell-bent on on technology development and high-end manufacturing, and you can't not be a part of that. This administration has a very simplistic view uh, and and also an overblown view of our power versus China. We need to be much more informed and, 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 and much more realistic on where we are. And look, I'm a patriotic American. I was in the army. I was in Vietnam. I care a lot about America, and that's why I talk like this. I can see we, you know, we better focus on ourselves and compete.
0: Jim McGregor, always a pleasure to talk to you. We welcome your perspective. It's unlike anyone else that basically just about exists in the globe. You know, you've had a footprint in journalism and uh, in running a business over there and now advising businesses, you know, you've really got just an, an amazingly broad uh, and in-depth perspective on China. So we really appreciate your sharing it with us on WealthTrack.
1: I'm always happy to talk to you, Consuelo.
0: I want to thank you, our viewers, as well, for joining us on this Consuelo Mac WealthTrack podcast. Make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one we